If you're here for the first time, I want to say welcome. Would you take out your outlines now? That'd be fantastic. And I'm going to kick off this new series called Clearing Up the Confusion. One question I'm often asked, probably more than many others, is how do I know God's will for my life? Very big question. I want to kick off with the very first verse on the outline. Let's look at it. It's from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, be careful how you live. Be careful. In other words, don't be careless. Be full of care in the way you live. Not as unwise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Anybody want to give a testimony of that? Take a look around the world right now. Therefore, because they're evil, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Very clear directive. Now, if God wants you to know his will, by the way, here's another verse that just underlines that in Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. A couple of verses there clearly say God wants you to know his will. Now, if God does want you to know his will, and you want to know God's will, what do people have a hard time figuring out what God's will is? How many of you have been confused trying to know what God's will is? Can I see hands? Okay. So what's the problem? The problem is we're often looking for the wrong thing. And there's a lot of misunderstandings about God's will. And I want to give you the sermon in a sentence. And for those of you who want to learn to teach others, you need to be able to condense all of what you're saying into one sentence. Let me give it to you. It's not on your outline. But if you want it in one sentence, it's this. God's will is not a feeling. It is not a formula. But God's will is a friendship. Let me say it again. God's will is not a feeling and it's not a formula. It is a friendship. It's a relationship. And I'm going to expand on that. First of all, God's will is not a feeling. A feeling is the sort of the metaphysical approach to, to God's will. A mystical people, you may have met some of these, they rely on impressions. Impressions. And emotions. And sensations, I feel this. And their approach to to God's will is first, let your mind go blank. That's what they try. And that's not too hard for many of us because our minds are already blank. (laughs) You clear out your mind. And then you wait for a quiver in your liver. This is the physical, metaphysical approach. And have you noticed too that these same mystical people have seemed to have, or what they claim to have, a fiber connection straight into the throne room of God, straight to heaven. And they're always telling you, I feel God is telling me to tell you this. Ever met anybody like that? Okay, don't put your hands up. Now the problem with this approach is when you think God's will is a feeling, 
How many of you actually found feelings are very unreliable? Very. Feelings can come from many sources. You could be sick. You could be tired. You could be on medication. You could have just had a bad burrito last night and you have a feeling. Or a wacky pizza with those funky flavors which make you dream all sorts of wild things. Next minute, you think you've got an inspiration from God. And it's really the fruity flavorings. See, it could be anything. God's will is not a feeling. Let me ask, uh, yeah. Have any of you ever made a decision based on feelings and it was flat wrong? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be careful of trusting your feelings. Of you trusting like how your heart, people get mixed up here, how your heart feels. See, my feelings play tricks on me, and so do yours. They tell me wrong things all the time. Man, if I'd have married every girl I had feelings for, I'd be in big trouble. (laughs) Here's what the truth of God's word says. Look carefully at this. Who can understand the human heart? There is nothing else so deceitful. That is the truth of God's word. It unmasks us. We like to think we've got it all together and our heart's in the right place. The Bible says, who can understand it? I've been surprised by my own heart sometimes, and probably if you're honest, so have you. God's will is not a feeling. I know somebody, I'll give you one example of this, who sat in my lounge not many years ago, who was very convinced that God had told him to sell his house at a particular time and buy another house. So he did. He sold his house. And that went through. No problem. Trouble is, the house he was supposed to buy didn't come through at all. And he lost 250 grand. Now, 250 grand isn't the end of the world. He's still alive. First world problem. Let's get this in perspective for a start. But they, him and his wife were sitting in front of my wife and I saying, what did we do wrong? How do we get our guidance so wrong? I'll tell you why. And I told them that. You based a decision based on your feelings and you thought it was God. It wasn't. It was just what you wanted. Hard medicine to hear, but absolutely the facts. Absolutely the facts. There's weird thinking that goes on sometimes in Christian circles. This message today is aimed at straightening some of that wacky thinking out. Number two, God's will is not a formula. So you get the feelings, which is metaphysical, and you get the formula. That's the next approach, and that's a mechanical approach to God's will. And many of the books there, you get in any Christian bookshop, and you'll see what I call recipe books. Five steps to understanding God's will for your life. If you do this, boom, 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 then this will happen. Recipe books, presto. And that appeals to the push-button society that we live in. Everybody wants things fast and easy. Hmm. When you read the New Testament, things weren't fast and things weren't easy. They took time and they were tough. They were hard. Going back to those books. Five steps to knowing God's will. I found one the other day. That's what we got. We've got cooking made easy. 
Sewing made easy. Embalming made easy. <laughs> Everything's got to be easy today. Otherwise, eh, we can't be bothered. There's a problem with this formula approach of knowing God's will. And this is what the problem is. It doesn't work. Let me just tell you flat out. I'm a business guy too. It doesn't work. For example, many people will get into this hocus-pocus realm when they try to figure out who they're going to marry. I tried that. I was trying to figure out whether they're supposed to marry Kimberly or not. I tried all kinds of formulas. I could never find her name in the Bible. <laughs> one guy once, I, I told a friend of mine, he was trying to get married to a girl called Grace. And that day he was doing his devotions and the Bible said, Grace be to you. So he said, she's mine. <laughs> That's terrible guidance. Don't let anybody from New Hope ever pull that one, okay? Because that is not the way you get guidance from God. That's how you shipwreck lives. I'm just being real practical. Honestly, I want the very best for you. Don't be sucked in by that. It doesn't work. And also, formulas contradict each other. God is not a God of contradiction. One book says this, another says that. They contradict. And, but my biggest problem with a formula approach is this. And this what is what really gets me, is that there's no room for mistakes. You must be perfect. Because if you blow it, it's tough luck. You've missed God's will now for the rest of your life. You're on plan B. What I want to say to you is this, this. God's will is not a closed system. It's dynamic. Thank God for that. I'll explain that. It's not always either or. There will be many options available to you in life. And you know what? All of them can be within God's will. Again, I want to come back to this very important point for many of the young people today. You may have heard people come out with this crazy talk. And this is what it sounds like. Well, there's only one person for me to marry in the whole wide world. Now, if you think about that for a moment, how illogical that is, for that to be true, everybody has to marry the right person. Because if one person marries the wrong person, the person I was supposed to marry has already been taken. So I'm out of luck. So I'll marry somebody else who was supposed to be married to somebody else. There's a whole fishing tangle mess that just does not logically hang together. Some people, on the other hand, worry, well, I made this mistake 10 years ago, and it was a big one. It was horrible, and I really messed up. And I blew it, and I missed God's will. Therefore, I have to settle for second best for the rest of my life. Now, there's a big problem with that statement. The statement, second best, isn't in the Bible. Let me give you a couple of for instances to straighten out our thinking here. Some of the greatest believers in the scriptures blew it with gargantuan volume. All made mistakes. But you don't see God saying to Moses... Moses, you blew it. You killed the guy. Sit in the shop now. You're out of my plan for the rest of your life. Remember? He killed the guy. But you see, God's saying, I am the God of the second chance. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of the second and the third chance? Because I didn't even get it right the second or third time sometimes. Maybe you don't too. 
So my point is, is God's will is not a feeling and it is not a formula, but God's will is a friendship. Now, if you want some sort of religious word to feel compatible with, poke the word fellowship in there. It's the same thing. God's will is not a bunch of rules. God's will is a relation to, to, to him. It's an attitude, not an agenda. It is a life map. It is not a life map where everything's just laid out. Well, I start here, I walk to here, turn left here, move here, do this. It's not laid out like a map like that, but it is a lifestyle. So it's not a life map, but it is a lifestyle. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, God, hang on, hang on, the God who holds the whole world in his hands has invited you into a wonderful friendship with him, with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to circle a very important word there, friendship, because when you read the Bible from cover to cover, multiple times, many times, you'll find there is hardly anything that mentions technique of knowing God's will. But you'll see hundreds of verses and scriptures that encourage us to develop a deep, loving relationship. And that is the emphasis of the scripture over technique. Focusing on God, not on guidance. Focusing on, that's the secret of knowing God's will. It's focusing on knowing God, not getting guidance, because the better you get to know God, the more you're going to know his will and the less confused you're going to be about it. Because that relationship informs your decisions because you know how God would act in a particular situation. So God's will is not a feeling, it's not a formula, it is a friendship. Now, since it's a friendship and a relationship, then our attitude comes into all of our friendships, right? And all of our relationships. What should our attitude be? In this friendship. Let me give you firstly three attitudes not to have regarding God's will. Because these will hinder and stymie God's will being outworked in your life. Let me give them quickly and I'll back over them. Number one is don't be fatalistic. Number two is don't be fearful. And third, and this is where a lot of people struggle with this next one, is don't be frustrated. Number one, don't be fatalistic. Don't have the attitude, well, whatever happens in my life is God's will. You know, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. You know, I've got a pimple this morning, it must be God's will, I've got a pimple. <laughs> There's a kind of a flawed attitude of resignation. I'll grin and bear it, and everything that happens must be God's will. There are at least two clear problems with that approach and that thinking. Number one is God gets blamed for everything. And number two, you become a puppet. Faithfully flawed. One, God gets blamed for everything. Now, when we say the phrase, well, it must have been God's will, what do you think of? Probably some sort of tragedy or some disaster or something went wrong or a death. And it's classically illustrated in the wording of many insurance policies. You know, what they consider acts of God. <laughs> God gets blamed for the lot. Earthquake, fire, you know, what it, hurricane, disaster, famine, an act of God. 
But have you ever noticed when things go wrong in your life, then people often say, well, it must have been God's will. But when things go right, you say, well, boy, I was lucky there. Notice the difference? God seems to blame for all the bad things, and I seem to get collect the credit for all the things that went well. Wow, I was lucky. I was lucky. Actually, the Bible says that God's will is not always done here on earth. That's why he tells us in the Lord's Prayer, pray that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it done in heaven? It's done perfectly. Now, if everything that happened on earth was God's will, you wouldn't have to pray, thy will be done. And the reason why things aren't done here is we live in a fallen, broken world. Nothing works perfectly down here. And where God has put us here, he's given us a choice. And sometimes we choose to do the wrong things. And it's not God's will at all. Yet God gets blamed for everything when you have this fatalistic attitude. The second error when you're fatalistic is that you become a puppet instead of a person. See, you were created in God's image separate from everything else that was created. That sets you apart from every animal. This, what this means is that you have a freedom to choose. The fatalistic approach to everything that happens must be God's will that prevents your growth as a person because you can always blame God for the bad things in your life you know well I don't have a job it must be God's will for me not to have one at the moment sometimes I've had to say to some people not in this church perhaps you're lazy it's true or they'll say, oh, I got fired from my job. It must have been God's will. They were choosing this person or this person and this person. I got fired. Well, maybe you didn't meet the standards consistently, and that's important. Some very logical explanations there. Some people want God to make their decisions for them. He wants you to. Now, when you're a brand new baby Christian... He will help you. He'll, he'll help you along with that. But as you grow, he expects you, just as Jeremy expects Asher here, as he grows, to start to make his own decisions based on the values Jeremy's imparted into his son. Knowing that, it's fine at his age, but if he was 16 and still looking to dad, to, well, what color undies do I need to wear today, dad? You know, that'd be a tragic, right? You expect your kids to grow up, and God expects us to grow up as well. Not to just sit back and do nothing. Some people want God to make all the decisions for them. God, I can't decide whether I should change careers or whether I should move from this house to that house. I don't know what I'll do. I can't make a decision. Therefore, I'll just not do anything. Which is a decision? And you just sit back. And then sometimes some circumstances come along and you say, well, it must have been God's will. Says who? Let me put it in this vein. All circumstances that happen in your life are not automatically God's will. All circumstances that happen in your life are not automatically God's will. Classic example. Mr. And this guy should have known better. 
Mr. Jonah. Jonah was told to go where? Where? Nineveh. Do you remember that, Asher? Go, you, Jonah, you are my representative. I want you to go from here. Get your caboodle over there and get to Nineveh and tell them they need to repent or I'm going to destroy them. That's what he says. So after having a clear word from God, what does Jonah do? He heists off down to the dock and what does he find? He finds a ship that's going in exactly the opposite direction. Must be God's will. I need a captain to take him. All situations are not automatically God's will. Do you know the devil can make use of circumstances? Or maybe just you made the wrong decision. Maybe God wanted you to step out in faith and take job A, but because of your immaturity, you don't make any decisions which lead you to job B. And then it failed, and you were confused, and you wondered, what happened? When you say, God, I can't make a decision without you telegraphing it to me in the sky or knocking me over the head, that's immaturity. Just like you want your kids again to be able to make good decisions based on good values and good due diligence and good principles and good facts. The Bible says get the facts at any price. You still pray, but you do the work. But see, this is how it works. The Bible says... God, a man makes his plans. So first of all, are you making your plans? Or are you going, ah, whatever will be. Man makes his plans, but God directs his paths. Both are true. That's a whole other sermon. But the point is, you need to make some plans. You need to make some decisions. And God wants you and I to grow up where you can make decisions just like Jesus Christ will because you have been given the mind of Christ. How do you have the mind of Christ? Through God's word, the Bible. Let me be very clear, one sentence, never forget this until you get to heaven. God's will will never contradict his word. That's a fact. It's written down. God's will will never contradict his word. Doesn't matter whether somebody says, I feel God wants me to leave my wife because then I'll be happy. God isn't, can I give you a newsflash? God is not interested in your happiness. He's interested, more interested in your holiness. Sometimes love means putting up with the ability to be unhappy for a while until you work things out. It's not today. That's why people have lost the commitment in the word vow. A vow's a vow. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So how do you have the mind of Christ? Through the word of God. As you fill your mind with the word of God and as you get to know God and have his values in your life, when a decision comes along, it becomes imminently clearer what are the overriding principles you need to guide by, but there's a lot of freedom in the middle of that. For example, you always do the honest thing. And you do things that help other people. When it comes to serving God, there may be several opportunities. You're looking for places to serve God. It could be A, B, C, or D, which could be God's will for you. But this is what happens. We often get hung up on location where God is more interested in the lifestyle. I could serve God, whether it's here at New Hope or in Seattle or in Uganda. 
I think there are many times, especially when young folks are hung up on where God wants to serve instead of what God wants me to be. Big difference. He wants you to become like Christ no matter where you are. And there may be many good options for you to choose from. And God could bless any one of those because God's will is dynamic. It is not a closed system where if you make the wrong move, all of a sudden you're out of God's will and you're on plan B for the rest of your life. You've missed out. God doesn't work that way. Remember Moses. Look at this verse here. John 7, verse 17. If anyone chooses, see, chooses. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. So the fact is, God's will involves my freedom to choose. There's a brilliant book on this. For those of you who want to dive deep but clear, it's called Chosen But Free by my good friend, Dr. Norman Geisler. Chosen But Free. The point is, is God's will involves freedom to choose. Don't be fatalistic. And God wants you to learn to make decisions based on values that are in his word. Number two, don't be fearful about God's will. Have you ever been afraid to pray that prayer? Thy will be done. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I have. There's been times when I knew the price was going to be high. Maybe I'll lose this job. Maybe I'll lose this relationship. Why are we afraid? Of God's will sometimes. We need to address this. What say he makes a change in my lifestyle? Are you ready for this? Surprise! He will. He will make a change in your lifestyle. Because that's what God's will is all about. But his will is so much better than anything you or I can come up with. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Some folks on the other hand are fearful of criticism. If I follow God's will, what if I really give my life to make him number one in my life? What if I'm criticized? Can I encourage you? The Bible says in First Peter 4, if you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit's glory and of God rests upon you. And then there's a fear of commitment. What if I follow God and it gets hard? One of the hard areas that can really get hard on is if you're really persecuted. I mean, really persecuted. But the Bible again says to remind us what his word says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus already knew about that. Another reason why you fear doing God's will is becoming and becoming totally committed is because you actually, deep, the root of this is that you actually doubt that he has the best interest at heart and that he really loves you. And the fact is, God loves you more than you love yourself. And God knows what's best for you far better than you know yourself. His lifestyle is superior to any typical materialistic rat race most of us live our lives in. That rat race has become more real as I've been going into town more often early in the morning. And I cannot believe it's just, I don't know, that phrase has just grabbed me. <laughs> A whole bunch more. <laughs> it's true. And it, by the way, it doesn't matter. If you win the rat race, you're still a rat anyway. 
his way of living is a difference between existing, just existing, and living. Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to remind you, and this could be taken in many places, but it's familiar to many of you. I know the plans I have for you. God just doesn't make you and then step back. That's a false deist philosophy. God has plans for you. He made you with a future in mind. Plans to prosper you. And it's not necessarily monetary growth. Let me be clear about that. Although there is often a redemptional lift, because as you do things honestly and by his principles, he often physically blesses as well, but not always. See, this gospel has to work in the middle of Sudan as well. So let's be remembering that. These principles. Plans to give you a hope all the time and a future all the time. So God's will is an expression of God's love, of his love. So God loves you, so he has a plan for your life. But that plan, and this is my point this morning, has a lot of freedom in the middle of it. So if you roll into the grocery store, I know some people have gone to the nth degree on this one in a restaurant and say, well, God, is it your will to have the spinach or the broccoli? It's crazy. And God probably would say, euphemistically speaking here, well, I made them all. You choose. They're all for your enjoyment. Why are you asking me? (laughs) You may ask, well, how does God's sovereignty fit into all this? Because some of you are getting a bit of dissonance in your head right now. The sovereignty of God, if we could summarize it in a word picture, is like a ship. Starts here, and God says, you're here, but I've ordained in my sovereignty. This ship is going to end up in Hawaii. Let's say Hawaii. Could be heaven. Starts with H. You can work with the principle. Start from there, and it's going to go to there. Ultimately, it's going to end up in that destination. Guaranteed, because of God's sovereignty. The world is on a course. On one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back. Nothing you or I do can ever stop that or change it. But whilst you're on that ship going from when you were born to Hawaii, you have a lot of freedom to rearrange the chairs. But the ship is going. And if you're a Christian, the Bible says this, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he started, he'll make sure you get there. And if you've given your life to Christ, one day you're going to end up in heaven. In the meantime, God has given you a lot of freedom. And there are a number of things that Jesus wants to say to you. Number one is that you are my child. And what's important is your relationship to me. For those of you today who are not a Christian yet, I want to explain it like this. Maybe you've got a neighbor that you don't know very well. But they do something kind to you. And it goes from a relationship of strangers to you have an appreciation and a thankfulness to what that person did. That's kind of how it is when people don't know Jesus. They just know of him. They realize what he's done. And eventually what happens, that goes from just a non-acquaintance to an acquaintance to almost a romance, if you could work with the expression. The reason why, when you have a wedding, which is what we're going to have, that ultimately ends up as a very, very close relationship, a deeper friendship than some of you have given thought to. So as long as you're basing 
your decisions on the values of my word, his plan for you is loving and good and positive. So don't be fatalistic, don't be fearful, and don't be frustrated by it. Most of us have gone out and done something that thought was God's will, and it's bombed, if we're really honest. What happened? It didn't go as you planned. That's where this frustration kicks in. What do you do when you're frustrated and you don't understand what's going on? Well, best thing I've learned at the moment is chill, relax, but trust God. And I'll come to this in a second. Because God wants you to live by faith, not by explanations. Because God isn't obligated to give you an explanation for everything that happens. But do realize that he's a good and loving God and he has a purpose in his plan. And his plans and his purposes are not out-trumped by your current seeming problems. That's where his sovereignty comes in. Now, if you can figure out everything about God, you would be God. And I don't worship a God who's so small that I can figure out everything about him. You'll never be able to figure out all about God, but you do need to trust and relax in his goodness. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Notice there, it does not say that all things are good. It says, in all things, God works for the good. He, you know what? He can even take bad things and bring good out of them. That's been the case in many of your lives. If we will allow him terrible things and bring good out of them. For everybody? No. Read that. It's for those who've been called according to his purpose. This promise is only for Christians, those who've put their lives totally in the Lord's hands. All things do not work for good for everybody. Now, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, all things in your life will not be working together for good for everybody. In fact, you're probably going in the exact opposite direction of God's will. Why do I say that? Because God's will is that all should be saved. He wants all. And you're actually denying your creator who made you. What the Bible would say to you is you need to make a U-turn. That's what repentance is all about. Doing a U-turn. I was once going this way. I turned around and I went back that way towards God. Because you're either going away from God or you're going back towards God. That's what he says. You know, the hot and the cold. You know, that way or that way, you're just stuck. So don't be frustrated. And the fact is, God's will is a long-term process that includes two things. Here they are. Pleasures and problems. Now, most of us want the first one, right? Give me the pleasures. Let's forget the problems. Let's mine them in the problems. But God is using... Those problems to build character in your life, to develop values, to make you more like Jesus, to make you more loving and joyful. Yeah, you know, and, and, and patient and having, what's it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So, what's the right attitude? Let's get to the last point. What's the right attitude? What's your my attitude knowing? That God's will isn't a formula, it's not a feeling, but it's a friendship with God. It's a lifestyle, not a life man. The right attitude is not fatalism, it's not fear, and it's not frustration. It is faith. God's will is to be discerned and followed by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible. That's a very strong word, to please God. 
Because anybody that comes to him must believe two things. One, that he is. And two, is that he's a rewarder. As a young Christian, this is the thing that bit me. I got the first part. Anyone that comes to God must believe that he is. I thought, tick, I'll get that. But the second part, I was hung up for a while. And that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. Earnestly seek him. So circle faith there. God always requires faith. Faith pleases God. That's why God's will is not always spelled out in technicolor 3D maps. Sometimes he wants you to make a decision just on faith. Even if there are multiple options, as long as you've done it in faith, God can honor it. And you understand it as a parent. God says, move in faith. Take steps of faith. What I'm going to honor is not the exact calculation of the decision. Either one of them may be okay, as long as it's not violating my word and my principles. He wants you to make the decision in faith. If you can't make it in faith, well, you don't make it because it's only faith that pleases God. Now, some of you today haven't even taken the very first step to open your life to Jesus. And you can't build, your, build on God's will if you don't even have a relationship in the first place. I am absolutely not talking about religion. Not at all. You may have gone to church as a kid, or you may not have been in church for 15 years, or never been in church. I am talking about a relationship. And 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God's will is that everyone is saved, and that means to have a relationship with him. It says God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. Again, 2 Peter says God is not willing. He doesn't want that to happen, that any shall perish, but he will not force you. You still have a choice. It's God's will that every person open up their hand and say yes to Jesus Christ and begin to live in a friendship. God wants you to be his friend and to begin a new relationship. That's what God's will is for your life. The first step is to open up your life and say yes. That's the first step of faith. That's why New Hope and the churches around the world exist. God's church exists to help reach as many people for Christ as we can. But we're not in this for convenience. If the group just want to come up now. We are not in this for convenience. The church was put here to reach the world with the good news. That is our raison d'etre. To reach the world. That is our purpose. It may not be convenient. That's irrelevant. We are put here to reach the world with the good news. That, my friends, is God's will. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, would you do it this morning? Friend, I am not talking about religion. I am saying to you, do you have a friendship with Jesus? Is Jesus Christ your friend? Because he wants to be. You don't have to be frustrated or afraid because his plan for you is good. Would you say in your heart to him, yes, Jesus Christ, I want you in my life. I sure don't understand it all. But say it in your mind, he can hear you. I want to open my heart to you. I want to be the person that you want me to be. And I want to start on your plan today. 
Friend, it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is the direction of your feet right now. You may have made major mistakes in your life like I have. So what? Everybody else in this room has. God is the God of the second chance and you can start over. You can be, as the Bible says, born again. You can have a new life. You can have the slate wiped clean this morning. And if you've never done that, why don't you do that today? Just say yes in your heart to Jesus and to his plan for your life. Many others of you have already made that decision, but you have been frustrated in knowing God's will. Maybe because you've been looking for a feeling that seems to be horrendously unreliable. Or you've been looking for a formula to pin this down, and it's just not going to happen. God says, I want you to know me and to put the focus on God, not on guidance. I I have a lifestyle for you, not a life map. I want you to have an attitude of acceptance towards me, not an agenda. And I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to give you a bunch of rules. Or maybe you've been a little fatalistic and you've been blaming God for things that weren't God's fault. And you say, ah, it must be God's will. Well, maybe not. Friends, we make choices and we reap the results of those choices. Other people make choices and we reap the results of other people's choices. God's will involves your freedom to choose. Would you say today then, today I choose to do your will? Or maybe you've been totally afraid of being committed to Christ. Maybe you said being a Sunday Christian is good enough. Friend, you're missing out on so much because he says the plans that I have for you, they're good plans. They're not to harm you to prosper you, to give you a hope in the future, would you say to Jesus Christ today, I want to rededicate my life to you in a much deeper level. I want to be more committed than I've ever been committed beginning today. Friend, you're as close to God as you want to be. And you or I have nobody else to blame but ourselves. The reason you're not closer to God is you're afraid that he really doesn't love you and he really doesn't have your best interests at heart. You're afraid that maybe you'd have to change your lifestyle. May I humbly suggest you will. God will introduce changes in your life and he'll change your desires, but his lifestyle is so much more meaningful and satisfying than anything that this world can offer. Thank you for our time, Lord, together in your word, looking at how much you love us and what you want for our lives. Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we take up the offering and sing the last song?